you guys are great kids, very talented kids, and uh, that was just a wonderful time. I'm, I'm bragging on my own kids too, because two of mine are in there. And it's, it's always a problem with watch your kids do something like that, isn't it? And, uh, but you know what? This story is an important story. Uh, you know, I love, I love the, the story of Naaman because it really is like a miniature version of the entire gospel, isn't it? When you really start to think about it, everything we need to know about the gospel is right there in this, in this story about Naaman. Uh, really, when I talk about the gospel, I'm talking about the good news that Jesus Christ paid the penalty to pay for our sins, right? He paid for the penalty of our sins. And, and what we see in this story is a little micro-narrative, if we could call it that, of the, of the entire gospel. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to preach the entire sermon, so, uh, so don't worry about that. But I just want to share two quick points with you that, that come out of this story that we understand about the gospel. Number one, the gospel is simple. Isn't that? The gospel is simple. That's what we, we, we read. In fact, we've been studying Romans. One of the other books that Paul wrote is a book called Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 2, he wrote these words. He wrote, For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast. What could be simpler than that, right? But what I mean by simple, when we talk about the gospel being simple, uh, what I mean by that is, is that um, it doesn't require any work on your part. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do something to deserve it. It's a simple. In fact, the way, the way we just read, it's a gift. How hard is it to receive a gift? I love receiving gifts, right? Don't you? It's, and it's simple. And uh, yesterday was my daughter's birthday, and they brought gifts. She didn't have to work for those. All she had to do was open them up and smile and say thank you, right? And so the gospel, in a very real way, is something very simple. And we see that analogy in the story right here, because Naaman was a proud man. He'd accomplished a lot, right? And in spite of all of this, he heard the bad news that he had a fatal disease, a slow, flesh-eating fatal disease with no cure. Put yourself in his shoes for a moment. When you're successful, life could not be any better for you. Things are going great. And all of a sudden, you get that word that you've got leprosy. And you know what it's going to be. You know it's going to spread. You know it's going to take time. And you know that there's no cure for that. You know what? I've got bad news for all of us. And that is we all have a fatal disease. Isn't that true? We all have sin. The Bible says that, that sin is like a disease, right? And guess what? The, the, the payment for our sin is death. It's a fatal disease. It's terminal. Uh, and uh, in Romans uh, chapter 3, or 6, verse 23, we read, For the wages of sin is death. The bad news we get. And guess what? Death has reigned from the time of Adam until now. And in fact, everyone that's not alive at this moment, pretty much everybody has at one point, what? Passed away. Why? Because, because the wages of sin is death. If it weren't for sin, there would be no such thing as death. And death uh, is described in the scriptures in, in really two phases. There's the first phase, which is the physical death, right? The physical death. That by nature, we become mortals. That means by nature, we don't live forever. We get older. We're getting a little bit closer to that every day. And I recognize that myself when I look in the mirror, right? We're getting closer to that day. 
not getting any younger, where, where there's that physical death, but there's also a second part of death, uh, because death just means separation. And so there's this, this moment when, when our physical body becomes separated from the soul that God gave us, and we can see the body, but there's no soul left in the body. That's what physical death is. There's a separation between the body and the soul. The second death is a permanent separation. We read about it in Revelation chapter 20, verses 13 through 15. And we read, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Here we're talking about the permanent separation from God. The last book of the Bible is talking about events that have not yet happened, and we're thankful for that. Uh, where we stand before God and we're held accountable for our works. And guess what? If there's any sins on your account, then you have to give account for those sins. And what do we read in Romans? For the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. But good news is, is the flip side of that, isn't it? And so that's the bad news. We, we understand, though, that Naaman had received bad news just like we all received bad news. He, he learned that he had a fatal disease. He, he, he learned that it was going to slowly eat him alive. And guess what? We all have sin nature. Scripture says in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I think if we're all honest, I know if we're all honest, we would say we're sinners. Any sinners in here? Or am I the only one? Right? Of course we are. We're sinners. We're selfish. Um, it's just the, the way we are. But what was the solution? In the story, the solution was very simple. It was dunking yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Dunking yourself seven times. Why would God give the instructions for man to dunk himself seven times in the Jordan River? Well, let's, let's dissect that a little bit. Let's think about dunking first. Uh, why dunking? It's because dunking requires a simple act of faith. It's not a work, is it? In fact, um, uh, if this gets a little over our heads in, in, the, in the medical terminology here, uh, then just bear with me. But, but I've, looked, I've looked all through the internet, which is the, where you find all truth, right? <laughs> and, uh, just kidding. And, and I've looked all over trying to find what the medical benefit of dunking yourself in a dirty river is. And you know what I found? There's absolutely no medical benefit for dunking in the, in the river. You know, there are people who think because of the story and others that there are people that actually fly to Israel to this day to get baptized in the Jordan River, hoping that there'll be some medical benefit for them. And what they find is that it's no different than dunking themselves in a creek nearby, wherever they want to go. Why? Because there's no medical benefit in it. See, God was asking him to do something that went beyond what his, his normal human brain would think, right? Now, if God had chosen to give him a, a menagerie of pills and medicines and he took those pills, where would his faith be? Well, in the doctors and in, in the pharmacists. Or, uh, his faith would be misplaced, right? But God said, I want you to do something that makes absolutely no sense from your own perspective. Something that is going to require a step of faith on your part. So I want you to dunk yourself in a dirty river. The Trent River is not exactly a big river either. It's... Just dunk yourself in this. It's, re- it's requiring a simple act of faith. But they told them to do it seven times. See, one thing we need to understand, if we understand the whole 
the gamut of scripture from, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, we find that the number seven is a pretty important number. Isn't that true? But it's the number that represents God. In fact, we find the word seven over 600 times in the pages of the Bible. You know, I, I, you probably don't find the word the that much, right? Well, but I say sometimes my wife will tell you. But it is. It's over 600 times you find the word seven. And usually it's in some reference where it's symbolizing God. Right from Genesis 1, right? When God created the world in how many days? In seven days, God created the world. Um, even uh, the animals on the ark, they knew that, that for the animals that were to be sacrificed, how many were they to bring? Seven. The rest came two by two, so that's all you need, right? But why? Why the seven for sacrifice? It's because it represented God. Uh, you remember in, in Genesis, the, the story of the seven years of plenty, followed by the seven years of famine. Uh, the, the Sabbath day is a special day, a holy day. The word Sabbath means seventh, right? It's the seventh day. Even the crops had uh, a Sabbath. And every seventh year, the crops, and, and that's why they started the crop rotations. And smart farmers follow, follow that advice to this day, right? So everything that God does, and I'm just walking through Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. The word seven comes through all through Scripture representing God. And so we have in this, in this simple act of baptizing himself seven times, he's making a simple act of faith, but he's also saying, I'm placing my trust in God. Why? Because this is the God of sevens, right? The God of Israel. And they knew that. And he had to reject all of those other things, all the things that didn't work, by the way. I mean, if you want to be clean, you know, and you can do your own thing, but if you want to be clean, what does it have to go? You have to do what he says. And, uh, and so, uh, as you look at this, God required him to have a simple act of faith. A simple act of faith in him. So the gospel is simple. Bottom line, uh, it doesn't require any effort. We have a fatal disease we can't cure. And God asks us to put our simple trust in him. And if we have faith in God, he will cure us from our sin. Isn't that an amazing thing? The second point that I want to bring out about the gospel that we find is that the gospel is hard. So, Pastor David, wait a minute, you just said that it was simple, right? The gospel is simple in the sense that we don't have to work for it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. But the gospel is hard. It is difficult. Why? Because it requires, requires humility. It requires that. You know, Naaman had heard about prophet in Israel. But you know where he went first? Did he go straight to the prophet's house? Mm-mm. He went to the king's palace first. That's what we read in the story, right? Why did he go to the king's palace? Because here's Naaman. He's proud. Hey, I, I, I've conquered everything I've tried to conquer. I've worked my way up. I, I talk with kings, right? That, you, can, you can easily become very proud why? Because you're talking with kings. A friend of mine in, in Ecuador uh, builds bridges, and uh, the last time I ate at his house, um, he was a little late, and he called his wife and said, I'm a little late because I'm talking with the president right now. <laughs> and, so, and so we were like, okay, we'll hold dinner, right? Why? Because he's talking to someone of great importance, right? And uh, now, here's Naaman. He, he's used to talking with kings. In fact, he's the king's favorite person. Sort of go and talk to the prophet. No, I'll go talk to that prophet's king. You know, you've heard people, I'll, uh, my people talk to your people, right? 
pride. And God says, no, you've got to get rid of that pride. See, we by nature, we're lost in our sins. We follow our sin natures and we destroy every good gift that God has given us, don't we? He's given us two good hands to do, uh, to do work with and what we do, we do horrible things with them, right? He, he gives us a good brain to think and we, and our thoughts become futile. Uh, he's given us the great gifts. I think of the gift of intimacy with, with a spouse and we take that and treat it as something common with everybody. We take every good gift that God gives us and we end up destroying. Why? Because of our pride, because of our sinfulness. God says, you can do your own thing, but if you want it to be clean, you're going to have to humble yourself. Right? You're going to have to humble yourself. Uh, that's what he's, what he's asking us to do. And for, think of it from Naaman's perspective. Dunk in a dirty river? Really? I'm sure he said something like, seriously? To Gehazi? But you know one of my, my favorite parts of the story, if I'm honest, just being real here, like one of my favorite parts of the story is when Elisha doesn't even meet him. Don't you like that part? I, I, come on, here's this proud guy thinking he's hot stuff. And, and so he goes to the king, the king says, I can't help you. So he goes to the prophet, and, and he's thinking, all right, well, I have to talk to the prophet. And the prophet sends his apprentice out. <laughs> what a, I mean, what a way to just kind of put him back in his place. No, no. You think that you are above talking to the prophet? No, the prophet speaks on God's behalf. You are below him, right? Had to put Naaman back into his place a little bit and say, you've got to do that. Now, why on earth would God make the gospel so hard? Yeah, he makes it so simple when it comes to words. But he makes it so hard. I mean, we all hate to be humbled, don't we? And if we're honest, we always, we can find, no matter how, no matter how bad at everything we might be, we'll find something we're good at and, and we can use it and we'll puff ourselves up with that. Anyone else ever do that? So three of us? Good. Um, well, when I was younger, for me, it was, it was floor hockey. Uh, just, I, I love floor hockey. I grew up playing hockey on the streets uh, and we, we, we always played hockey and uh, it was just a lot of fun. And so, in fact, I would, this might sound crazy, but I would even cook my blades so that I could get it to be just the right angle. Any hockey fans in here? All right, all right, there's a few of us, all right. Oh, you guys are Canadian, that doesn't count. So, <laughs> of course you're hockey fans, right? Canadians, great. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, eh? <laughs> I actually speak Canadian, so. So. I love, I love, now I played floor hockey, I played street hockey, and then uh, once we were allowed to play inside the church building, uh, we were, we played uh, floor hockey, and, and I just loved it, and in college, in fact, even as I'd study, I would always study better with a hockey stick in my hand. If anyone have something like that, maybe a baseball bat, something, I just loved playing floor hockey. We had it twice a semester, uh, two different classes, and the coach let me play in both, both classes, morning and evening sessions, so I would play four times a week outside of hockey season and then when intramural hockey came. So anyone else passionate about a sport like I was? But see, because part of me it felt like it was something I felt pretty good at, right? And, uh, and so I just, I just loved playing hockey. I still love playing hockey. If anyone wants to play, I would gladly play with you anytime because it's, it's just a lot of fun. And we used to play like uh, after church every Wednesday night and have a great time. One Sunday, 
a friend of mine came up to me. He said, Dave, I'd like to play on Sunday nights. So Sunday night hockey. And as soon as he said the word hockey, I thought, I'm in. Count me in. But as he continued to talk, he said words like, like, we have to play later on at night because there's cheap, it's cheaper ice time. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I've never, never played on ice. All right? You see, when I played hockey, this was my gear, right? This is it. And so I would play hockey, and, and, uh, and all of a sudden, he's asking me to play something a little bit different, right? He was asking me to trade in those shoes. If I can get these out. For these. Now, that's a lot of body to put on a very small line, isn't it? <laughs> now, my first thought was, hey, I don't care. It's hockey. I'm going to play, right? And, uh, and so, I thought, hey, I skied. So that's balance. So how hard can 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 play ice hockey be? Right? That's kind of good. And uh, my wife brought a video camera to our first our first hockey night. And all of us, some of the guys that we that we split up on Wednesday nights, make sure we're on different teams just to keep it fair. And uh, and so we split ourselves up, and and we're we're all playing now on ice hockey. And so I put these skates on, and I go out there, and, and I can tell it's like it's like this, right? You know, just trying to, trying to stay. And, you know, I'm used to, oh, the puck goes this way, so I'm turning around the puck. Now it's completely different. Because the puck goes this way, and I gotta turn. Right? And here's how we turn. No lie, my has a video. I'm not gonna let anyone see it, but just trust me. We turn like this. <laughs> By that time, the puck's gone this way. So I'm having And who knows where, where, where it would be. And there were some guys that didn't even play on Wednesday group, and they're skating backwards faster than we're skating forwards, right? You know, I, I say this simply because we, we don't like to be humbled. And when we think we're good in whatever area, and then we find out the truth, right? We find out that we're not as good as we think we are. That's what God was doing to Naaman. Naaman was, he was, his, he was inflating his own pride. Got to this point where, hey, I, I mean, I, I'll talk to the king, but I don't talk to the prophet. And God's saying, you need to deflate that balloon first before you, before you try and enter into it. Right? You've got to be deflated. Why? Does God require humility? It's because pride ruins salvation. Doesn't it? Pride ruins salvation. We, by nature, we're lost in our sins. We destroy every gift that God gives us. And if we're proud, we will reject God's help. Isn't that true? If we're proud, you know, see, God doesn't just want to save us from the consequences of our sins. I mean, it'd be easy to just say, oh, I'll pay for it, no problem. He wants to save us from our sins. He wants to change us. Just to become more like Jesus Christ and reflect the image of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we can reflect the image of God the way He's called us to be. Isn't that true? See, God wants to come into our life and make changes. But how many times do we not let, or we do not invite people to our house because they might see what our house looks like? Anyone else like that? Sometimes I think, 
I'd love to have people over, but eh, it's not the way our house is right now. Right? And Monica says sometimes that she likes inviting people over because it forces us to clean. <laughs> so, so just keep it real, right? It's, it's, the, it's the reality uh, of life. And so I think sometimes we, no, we don't want to invite Christ in because then he might actually make some changes. Now, maybe when we get things in order, then we can, no, it's not like that. What Christ wants is he wants to come into our life, make those changes, and the only requirement for that really is the humility to let him do it. Isn't that true? In Revelation 3, verses 19 and 20, we read this. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. It's the words of Jesus. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. But it's really an act of love. Jesus wants to come in. He loves you, and so he's going to rebuke you. He's going to point out the errors. He's going to, 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 to try and fix the things in your life. He goes on to say, Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. See, Jesus Christ is inviting us. Actually, he is inviting himself into our lives. And not just to save us from our, our, our consequences of sin, but to save us from our sin. He wants to come in and say, hey, you know what, Dave? You've got a vengeful spirit here you need to work on. Ouch. But if we're proud, we're going to say, I don't have a vengeful spirit. What are you talking about? Tell me who said that and I'll get him, right? <laughs> or you might say, hey, you've got a problem with gossip. you got to work on that. Lord, I'm not gossiping. I'm sharing prayer requests about people with needs. Whatever it may be, God wants to come in and He wants to clean up. It requires humility. Salvation requires humility. The, the, the Christian life requires humility. And so God created salvation in such a way that it is very simple and very hard. It's very simple because nothing you have to do to earn or deserve it. It's free. You simply have to humble yourself and recognize the fact that Jesus Christ paid for my sins. He died on the cross to pay for my sins. And a simple act of faith is all he requires of me. Placing my faith in Jesus Christ. I don't want to lie to you. I wouldn't try to convince you to accept Jesus Christ if you thought that that just meant everything's going to go great from that point on. No, it's going to mean that Jesus is going to come into your life and it's going to be painful. But he's going to turn you into the best version of you possible. He's going to turn you into the version of, of you that reflects the image of the creator who created everything around us. Isn't that what we want? Well, it's not easy. There's no glory in easy, right? But God has a plan for all of us. And that plan is hard. Accepting it is simple. I accept what Jesus Christ. It's a gift of God, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2. So right now, he is inviting himself into your world, as dirty as it might be. You can keep the door closed if you want. I don't want Jesus to see this. Or you can invite him in and let him get to work. What's it going to be? Let's bow our heads for just a moment and close our eyes. And just, in just a moment, I'm going to uh, give us a chance to respond. But here's the two ways I think that, that I would want you to respond. Number one, there might be some here today that would say, Pastor Dave, 
I have never humbled myself and, and, and asked Jesus Christ to pay for my sins. I have never made that decision. Up to this point, I've been living my own life the way I want to. And if that's you today, you don't have to leave without knowing for sure where you're going to spend eternity. If that's you today, would you just lift your head up and look at me so I can pray for you? That's you today. You're not 100% sure. You would like to accept Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior. Just look up at me. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song. It's called, Come Just As You Are. The words of the song say it all. That God wants you not to come as a clean person. He wants you to come as dirty as you are. So that He Clean. If, if the Lord is speaking to you, if you just look up with me, I'm going to ask that as we pray, and as we sing that song after we pray, to just walk towards the back. We have some, some men, some ladies that will gladly share with you from God's Word how you could place your trust in what Jesus Christ did for your eternal life. I also want to say, for those of you who are believers, you already know where your eternal destiny is. If we're honest, there's many times we have not humbled ourselves and we have not let Christ into our lives to do the painful work that He wants to do in our hearts. And if there's something maybe the Lord has brought to your attention even right now, then right now is that opportunity to come forward. No one's going to interrupt you. It's just a prayer between you and God. As you come forward and renew your, your commitment to God, you'll be humble enough let him do his work in your life. So we're going to have that opportunity as soon as we finish praying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great program. We thank you because it's a great opportunity to see our kids do their thing. It's, it's a lot of fun. We thank you even more because of the message that it promotes. Simple gospel. That would be so hard for us, Lord. Lord, I pray right now, if there's anyone in this room that does not know you personally, does not have a relationship with you, where you have come into their house and started cleaning house, I pray that right now would be that moment. That you convict their hearts right in this moment so that they would get right with you. And as they walk out of the doors of this building today, they would know for sure where they would spend eternity. And Lord, I pray for those who know you including myself, Lord. Oftentimes we keep you at an arm's distance because we know there are things in our life that you want to change. Lord, we humble ourselves today. We repent of that. And we invite you to clean up our lives.